0: And We believe that uh, you're here. Whatever reason brought you here, we believe God brought you here. And so we love you and our hearts are for you. And uh, if there's anything that uh, we can do for any of you this week, our numbers, uh, us pastors, put our numbers on the back of this bulletin and uh, just give us a call or a text and we'll, we'll try to be whatever we can be to you. So welcome. Um, we have uh, a Portugal and Zambia mission trips coming up this summer. And those teams have kind of been established already. It's a really big team going to Portugal, like 26 people, I think. And uh, it's a lot of us going. So God must have a big uh, a big plan for us. And so we're going to be meeting today at 4 o'clock. So come to that meeting. Um, it's a time to just pray and prepare our hearts. And then the Zambia team is a little smaller, but it's a pretty decent-sized team as well. We're going to be going to Zambia to work in the orphanage there. And... Uh, we just need you to pray for us and walk with us. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a lot of expense and um, a lot of uh, a lot of commitment. So, you as the church, if you're not going on that, uh, please remember these teams in your prayers because God's going to do great things, and we need, as a church, we need to be all, all need to be a part of that. Um, and then we're also doing this outreach ministry on Thursday nights at 5.30. We just come here and we go out for a couple hours and just go and hand out Bibles uh, to, the, to the streets of this city, to the people of this city. And I know it seems like a really daunting thing to go knock on people's doors, but it's not. God has prepared a way, and these people... Most people are very happy to see you on their door, loving them and, and uh, expressing the love of Christ to them. So just uh, pray about that and come be a part of that this Thursday at 530 if you can. Then lastly, um, we're going to do the, the Lord's Supper. We're going to have communion. It's down here. And uh, we're going to do that at the end of this service. And we just really want you to prepare your hearts and, and get ready to, to worship the Lord in that way. Uh, let's stand up and worship the Lord now. God, thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for our sins, Lord. Thank you for coming down here, Lord, doing what only you could do, Lord, for us. There was no way that we would be able to stand in your presence or be holy enough before you, Lord, unless you died for us, God. And help us as we start this service worshiping you here in a minute, Lord, help us remember that, Lord. Let us Lay down our sins at your feet. Lay down our cares at your feet. Lay down our legitimate worries and stresses at your feet, God. Because you died for us, Lord, and that's enough. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for loving us. Amen.
1: From this passage, Pastor Max preached to us this last Sunday. Read with me. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, "Hosanna to the Son of David," they became indignant. Brenda, take it for us in Spanish. los
2: principales sacerdotes y los escribas viendo las maravillas que hacía. Do you
1: remember what it was like to be lame, unable to walk in this life? Do you remember what it was like to be blind, unable to see with spiritual eyes, to see what really mattered? By God's grace, we're here in his temple today, and we get to proclaim Hosanna to the one who has saved us, the one who has healed us, the one who has made us new. So let's sing this together. with each other this morning. again this morning salvation we've been given You may be seated.
3: Isn't it great to praise the Lord together this morning? That is just so so awesome. And today we need to be in prayer. This Saturday we finish up our um, upward basketball season and of course my team's won yesterday. I'm not proud of anything. Just happy. (laughs) Anyway, God has been so good. Last uh, Wednesday, no, last Tuesday, when I have my my practices here, I was able to share the gospel with the kids. And God's at work, you know. I ask, is just, do any of you really, you know, feel like you need Jesus? you know we talked about it and uh, and three of them said yeah i really do i said you guys you guys can pray you can do it so we prayed and they hopefully prayed in their heart so thank you for praying for upward basketball this season i know god's at work in so many lives and um it's just been a privilege to serve God in that area. Thank you if you've been serving as well. Also, I'd like us to pray today for our missionaries. Um, probably you haven't heard of them for a long time, but Crystal Cool, our daughter-in-law, she's got a sister and brother-in-law in Indonesia. They're serving up in the mountains uh, in Papua, and they had a really neat experience this last week. Um... Craig, he's been uh, teaching through the Word of God, and they got to the lesson where they they teach on salvation. And um, he woke up that morning and could not talk. I mean, he was just mute. Couldn't say a word. It wasn't laryngitis. He just could not talk for anything. But God used that in a powerful way I think we have a picture we can put on. Yeah. You'll see here God had to use one of the nationals who, who Craig had been teaching and sharing with and, and um, teaching to be a leader in the church there. Uh, and he had to give the lesson. It's his first time, and God used him powerfully in teaching the gospel to his own people. And that's how God works. He shuts up the missionaries sometimes so that the nationals can speak. So let's pray for them, that God would do a powerful work in the Kora people of Papua um, in Indonesia. Let's pray together. Father, we're so blessed. We've got a beautiful church We've got a great group of people. All we want to do is serve you. We want to praise your name this morning. We want to glorify you. We're so thankful for our upward basketball season. It's been exciting. Our kids have just enjoyed it so much. But also it's worth a purpose that they hear the gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? And I pray for our Thursday night group as well as we go out and go door-to-door. How will those people here without a preacher? I'm so thankful for Vince, for Pat, for others who have gone out. Father, use us powerfully as we share your word in our neighborhoods. Father, I also pray for our missionaries over in in Indonesia, the Schaefer's pray that you would use them in a powerful way. And when you need to raise up local leadership from the tribes, God, do that in a powerful way, just as you did this last week. May you get all the glory, and we're just praising you today. And as we take the offering now, I pray that you would receive it as we give to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, let's take the offering. Thank you.
1: you've been rejoicing, I know I sure have, with these salvations that have been demonstrated in this baptismal water. God's been at work in our church for a long time and it's just uh, sometimes it's more visual than others and this has been a very visual last couple of weeks to see new believers proclaim in this water that uh, Jesus is the one who saves.
4: Super Church, third grade and under, and good morning. Man, it's so good to think about Jesus. He's the one that takes all our sins away. That's an incredible thought. Man, I hope we're thinking about that because we're about, we're literally four weeks from today from Easter, four weeks today from Easter, and you know, it's such an incredible time to worship the Lord Jesus and to think about him, and I hope you do. I mean, I hope you're thinking about Jesus. Uh, You know, Easter, it comes once a year, and we should celebrate it. And I hope we have an incredible Easter celebration. But, you know, we should be thinking about Jesus every day of the year. Uh, We had an interesting discussion at Sunday school this morning just about the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's a a crazy look at the world because it's a look at the world really without God. And what a mess our world is in. It's a messy world. It's an ugly world. It's a painful world. It's a sinful world. It's a broken world. And and I know that some of you, when I say that, you guys kind of go, oh, don't talk about that that way, Pastor Mike. You know, our lives aren't so bad. Well, maybe your life's not. I hope it's not. I hope it's because of Christ. Christ makes the difference. But if you think our world's not broken, you think our world doesn't need Christ, Jesus, at a... Deeper and more powerful levels man you 're not thinking, and you 're not looking, and you 're certainly not seeing so this morning, <clears throat> I want to talk about the new and better covenant i 'm going to step out of the book of Matthew for a little while until till Easter and we 're going to look at Hebrews chapter eight this morning. Uh, I was reading in my own personal time here a few months ago, and God really put Hebrews on my heart for this time as we prepare for easter and and I really want you to <clears throat> spend these next few weeks preparing, thinking about Jesus. I hope you do it every day, but I mean, if we're going to have a celebration of Christ's death and burial and resurrection, which is what Easter is all about, uh, we probably ought to know what he did for us because it is not casual. It is incredible and we ought to be celebrating, right? Every day. So Hebrews chapter six or chapter eight, we'll begin reading in verse six, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promi- promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, "Behold, days are coming," says the Lord, "when I will effect a new covenant, and the ho- with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt." For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach every one his fellow citizen and every one his brother saying, "Know the Lord," for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he had said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so good to be here this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, for what you're doing in our church, in our city, in our world. Lord, you have... You have done some spectacular things, Lord. Incredible things. Lord, to witness the baptisms, Lord, from California last week was incredible. It just brought tears of joy to my eyes, Lord. To be able to sing with our church and to hear the Word of God preached was such a joy. And I'm so grateful for that. But you're doing so much more. So many people are sharing testimonies upward and people are being touched by those testimonies and people are being saved and, and people are being challenged by those testimonies. And, and Lord, you're working and I pray you'll continue to work. Lord, work in our hearts today. Draw the people that don't know you to Christ today that they might be saved and have life today. Draw each one of us that do know you to a place of greater joy, greater commitment, greater faithfulness, greater humility, greater love. Lord, let us look more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray that whatever you do today, you'll get the glory. And we love you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> let me just say how good it is to be home. We we really were blessed last week. Uh, we were at Best Sister's house in California. It just took a few days away and It was pretty fantastic. We put the service up on their TV. They wanted to kind of watch it with us. And uh, they kind of walk with Christ. I mean, I think they love Jesus, but they're not super committed to him. And uh, and yet they are. It's kind of a funny thing. We love them. But for them to watch our service and see the testimonies of the people being baptized and see what God was doing was a huge blessing to us. And it was a huge blessing to, to me to watch it. And it's just been a blessing to think about all the people that are sharing testimonies, you know, I've heard great comments about the testimonies that are being shared. <clears throat> I did talk to one person who said they were willing to share their testimony if the person that asked them would share in their ministry. I know one person like that. I was like, oh, that's an interesting little trade, you know. But he still shared his testimony, so way to go. Um, but I got to tell you, I don't know. Man. It's been a while since I really felt like God was was just kind of breaking out. And I, I really think it's true. There's so many people in this city that need Christ. I, I know I say that a lot, but man, do you not see them? And Do you not realize how desperate our city, let's not talk about anywhere else, but Casper, Wyoming is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And man, it's gonna be a move of God or it's not gonna be anything. So I encourage you, pray, pray, pray for God to move Beyond us, right? For him to do bigger things. Well, let's go back into our, our passage this morning. The book of Hebrews is fantastic. And I would say it's one of the more the one of the deeper books that we have. It's it's rich with pictures of Jesus. And if you're really gonna read the book of Hebrews, you have to know this simple truth about it. It's about showing that Jesus is better. That's a simple truth of the book of Hebrews. If you don't read it, knowing that it's showing us that Jesus is better, you're not going to see it for what it really is. Because these, the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to, uh, had walked with Christ and they had walked in deep ways with Christ. But persecution had come in severe ways. They'd been driven out of their cities. They had lost their possessions. They had lost their homes. I mean, they were really being persecuted for being Christians, and they were considering turning away from Christ for the old law, for the old covenant that we'll talk about here in a little bit. And honestly, the writer of Hebrews is like, that's ridiculous, because when you have Christ in your life, you have everything. And I hope we hear that. I hope we hear that really clearly because there's so many of us in this room that say that Jesus is our Savior, but we don't live like Jesus is our Savior. We live like Jesus is just some partial blessing in our life, and we need lots of other things to come our way in order for us to be satisfied, and it's ridiculous. I mean, Jesus Christ is what we need, and we need all of him, and we get him. And so when we begin to look at this book, we, we're kind of jumping in the middle of things. I realize that, and, and it's kind of hard to catch up to where we are, but, but give me a few minutes to try to catch up a little bit. Chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews literally is talking about Jesus being a better priest, a better high priest than what they'd had before. And part of it, he said, was that, you know, Jesus is better because he's eternal, And it says literally that those that aren't eternal, that have been serving before the temple in Jerusalem, they have to do it in great numbers because they die. So a new priest has to come after them, and a new priest has to come after them. And so Jesus is eternal. Matter of fact, one of the great little passages in Hebrews chapter 7 is verses 24 and 25, and it says, Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's all I can say to that. I mean, I wrote it in my sermon. Why would I not say hallelujah? I got this high priest that is permanent, standing in front of God's presence, interceding for me so that he can save me forever. (laughs) I don't know about you that's good news. And so he's been talking about the high priest. You go into chapter 8, and he kind of continues the thought. And basically what he's teaching us is that Jesus is now seated on the throne of majesty in heaven, talking about the throne of God. And because he's sitting there, he can minister in the sanctuary in the eternal tabernacle. So right, the guys before him would would minister in the earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple, and that was great. God's presence was there. But Jesus is in the tabernacle not made with hands, in heaven, in God's full presence. And because he intercedes for us there and ministers on our behalf, we can approach God. Do you understand that? The way we approach God is not because we're good, it's not because we're amazing, it's because of Jesus Christ who died on our behalf and now sits at the, in front of the Lord God Almighty and says, this is my child. He's acceptable. She's acceptable to me because of what I did for them. That's incredible, guys. I mean, that's the gospel, right? That's the truth. That's the good news. And so he's been talking about who Christ is up to this point. And we come to chapter, chapter 8, verse 6, and he says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises all right so this verse is just again it's just sweet to me you know first it says but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry and and to obtain a ministry means that basically has earned this more excellent ministry. He has attained to it by what he's done. And so what has Jesus done that enabled him to have a ministry on our behalf in the presence of God forever and ever? Well, he gave his life on the cross. I know that we, we talk about that sometimes. I know sometimes when you're in church, you've heard it so much that Talking about Jesus on the cross doesn't mean very much to you. And yet, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know what else to, to say about it. Between now and, and Easter in four weeks, I hope we talk about it a lot. He gave his life on the cross, right? 1 Peter 3.18 tells us the just for the unjust, right? The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ Jesus died once, it says, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. The Holy One, God eternal, took the form of a man and humbled himself and died. On that cross, he became our sins. 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, but God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God. He became our sin, which would have been repulsive. I mean, repulsive. It would have been putrid. I mean, I can't even think of a word so foul. This is a terrible thing to say, but Beth and I have had some smell in our refrigerator lately. She just gave me that look like, oh, geez. I'm not saying it's her fault. I don't really know whose fault it was. We don't really know where the smell came from. And we cleaned it out yesterday. I moved it out. We thought maybe there was a dead mouse in there somewhere. I mean, we couldn't find it. I mean, so I'm not talking about best fault here. You all can tell her how, you know, sorry you are later. (laughs) I mean, have used to open that refrigerator and this smell came out. You know, it was just disgusting. I opened it up this morning at a quarter after five. It smells better. So hallelujah. All I can say is that our sin stunk way worse than that refrigerator, right? And, and that's what Christ became for us. And while he was becoming our sins and while he was taking the punishment and the wrath of God that was poured out against our sins, he was attaining to a better ministry. The only way he could be our Savior, the only way he could stand before the Father, the only way he could intercede for our, on our behalf forevermore was to die for us. And so it says he has this incredible ministry that he's attained to, but then it says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he also is the mediator of a better covenant. And so not only did he attain to that ministry as a high priest through his death and resurrection, but he also attained to it through this better covenant as the mediator of a better covenant. Now let me explain covenant because it's It can be a little bit confusing, but it's pretty simple. The covenant he's talking about here is the covenant between God and man, which says to man, if you do this, I will do this, right? And this covenant is a covenant of salvation. If you do this, you will have eternal life. We'll talk about this covenant in a little bit, but Jesus is the mediator of that covenant and how we know he's a mediator of that covenant is he talks about it. I mean, he talks about it over in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. I mean, if you'll see up front here, we have the Lord's Supper here this morning, and and we've taken it many times, but I don't know that we always think about it. We kind of think about Jesus, but I don't know that we think about what he actually says in this verse in Luke twenty-two, twenty. as he's getting ready to do this. He says, it says, in the same way Jesus took the cup, and after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So now when we go back to Hebrews and we're talking about the new covenant, we have this tie to the cross, right? The new covenant, the better covenant, the one that we need that we'll discuss here a little more in a minute, has been established by Jesus Christ And the way to have a relationship with God today is through him and him alone. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I I want you to begin to think about Jesus now, right? Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than all these other things that the book of Hebrews talks about. But Jesus is better because he's the mediator of this new covenant, which tells us that there was an old covenant, right? Matter of fact, verse six tells us that he was a mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. And so, in so other words, God has given us some new promises through the new covenant that are better than the promises that he gave through the old covenant. So so what's the old covenant, I guess, is the question. And and to be simple about it, the old covenant is the Old Testament law that God gave to Moses, and he gave them to the children of Israel when he brought them out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And the covenant was basically this. If you... Keep my covenant. If you keep my laws, you'll have life. Let me, let me read Leviticus chapter 18 verses 4 and 5 so you can know what it says. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God, so that you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. In other words, what he says is, I've given you a covenant. The way this works is if you want to have life and a relationship with God, you have to keep the law. You have to keep the commandments. And we could summarize those with the Ten Commandments, right? So let's go through these and let's find out how many of you have kept them. Anybody know the first one? Shall no, have no other God before me, right? Shall not make any idols. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. You shall, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall honor your father and mother, shall not commit murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet anything anybody else has. How do we do? Anybody break any of those commandments? Anybody done it more than once? Right here. And it's crazy because that creates a problem. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. And so here's this covenant that God had given the people and they couldn't keep it. And there's not a soul in this room that can keep the commandments of God because we are sinners. Sinners. You know, I know I talk about that, and I know some of you are like, quit it, man, quit telling me that. I don't want to hear that. Uh, I need to tell it to you again if that's you, because you're sinning in that, just so you know. It's ridiculous to think we're not sinners. It's offensive to think we're not sinners. And it's even more offensive to think that we could actually be good in our sin enough to please God, though we sin. And there's still plenty of people that want to try to tell you, you can keep the commandments and you can do good, but they change the commandments. They say things like, if you wear the right clothing, and then they define what that is, then you can please God. If you read the right translation of the Bible, you can please God. If you do this, if you listen to the right kind of music, right? I've heard for years that the only thing you should listen to is the hymns. I love the hymns. But I always want to say to those people, do you know the hymns didn't always exist? Do you know that some of those hymns were actually written and they were actually quite scandalous? Some of those hymns were written in three, four time. I know. Like a waltz that they danced to and then they played them in the church. Come on. There's some nutty things people say that should make you acceptable to God Except listen to what the Bible says. In verse 7 it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Interesting, isn't it? That it says that the first covenant, if it had been faultless, there wouldn't have been a need for a second. Now, here's the simple truth. I want you to hear this really clearly God didn't give that first covenant and there was something wrong with the covenant. It was God's standard of holiness. You keep those commandments perfectly, you'd be holy. And so God was fine in doing that, except that covenant didn't have a way to justify or to forgive or to give a relationship to those who broke the covenant. You broke the covenant and you didn't live. You broke the covenant and you deserved judgment and death and God's wrath. There was no way of salvation in that covenant. If you don't believe me, go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30 or 31 in there and it'll talk about the blessings that come with keeping the covenant. It'll talk about the curses that come when you break the covenant and it gets pretty ugly to break the covenant. And so he says if the first covenant had been faultless there would have been no occasion for the second. But for finding fault with him he says and and here's what here's what's taking place here. Right here's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. He's saying you want to go back to the law. You want to go back to the first covenant. Let me tell you why the second covenant is better. Let me tell you why the mediator of the second covenant is better, right? It says, because he found fault with them in verse 8. He found fault with them. He found fault with those who were supposed to be keeping the covenant. And because he found fault with them, then... There was no way for them to have salvation. And I want you to hear this and hear this very clearly. God loves you. And he wants to save you and give you life. Even though you don't deserve it. It's not based on you. It's based on him. And so as he begins to describe this second covenant. He begins to quote Jeremiah chapter 31. 31 through 34. And Jeremiah if you've never read the book of Jeremiah, you should go read it. It's a tough one. It's a tough one because Jeremiah was living at the last days of God's judgment being poured out on Judah, the southern kingdom. They had broken the covenant. They had broken the Old Testament covenant. They had become idolatrous. They had become just wicked in their sins. I mean, sexually immoral and and rampant, you know, in their immorality. Like I said, they were worshiping false gods all around Jerusalem where God's temple was. I mean, they were worshiping inside, false gods inside the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, they were wicked in their rebellion, knowledgeable in their rebellion, purposeful in their rebellion. And Jeremiah He's enduring like the wrath of the people around him because they hate the fact that he's talking to them about God bringing judgment against their sin or about God bringing, you know, condemnation. And, and he tells them they're going to be sent into captivity. And I mean, he's, they're throwing him in a dungeon. They think, and they're throwing him in a, in a, into a well that's dry, that's just got mud in the bottom of it. They're going to let him die there. I mean, they, they're mistreating this guy at pretty high levels. It's a tough book. But in the midst of his messages of hardship and judgment because of their breaking the covenant he begins with this in verse the last part of verse 8 it says behold days are coming says the lord when i will effect a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah not like the covenant which i made with their for, with their for, or with their fathers excuse me on the day when i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Now, I want you to hear this, right? They, verse 9 says, they did not continue in his covenant, and I did not care for them. Man, there's times in the Bible where you read stuff and you go, is that really true? Did God not care for them? God does not play with rebellious, sinful people. I know we want him to, don't we? We want him to play with us. We want him to understand our rebellion. We want him to give us this freedom to go live any old way we want to. And we want him to go, it's okay, I'll save you anyway. But that's not true. Do you break God's covenant? specifically the Old Covenant, and all that was available to you was judgment. And the people of Israel were experiencing that during Jeremiah's day as they were being hauled off to Babylon, to a foreign country, as the Babylonians came in and destroyed the walls around Jerusalem and broke down the temple and destroyed the houses in Jerusalem and made it literally uninhabitable. Can you imagine Living in a city that's now uninhabitable, after watching people starve to death, after watching people eat their own children, after watching people die of pestilence, after watching people die of the sword, and watching others being taken in shackles into captivity, can you imagine saying to God, Hey, I thought you would play with us? God does not play with sin. But Jeremiah, in the midst of all that harshness, first says, behold, days are coming. As we read through these verses, there's just a few characteristics that are sweet to point out. And the first one is is that there's a day coming that's going to be radically different from the day Jeremiah was living in. It's going to be a new covenant. It's going to be a covenant, as we'll see based on God, who he is, and how he loves, and based on grace, and based on mercy. And it's going to be radically different. Even in Jeremiah's day, there was this message of hope, message of light in the darkness. And quite honestly, if you were insightful at all in Jeremiah's day, you would have, you would have just grasped at that and held on to that thought of hope being given. And man, I'm here to tell you today, we ought to be the people that see the fact that we have the hope. We have it. Do you know that? You and I, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and say, we have the hope. And this world is just as dark, then there's just as much suffering, there's just as much immorality, there's just as much sin. And if you think God's not judging sin today, you're wrong. He still judges sin. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 9, that we'll probably get to, says it's appointed once unto man to die and then the judgment. Right? When you see somebody die, no, judgment came. Judgment came. Don't miss it. Judgment came. Either those who knew Christ stand before God acceptable because of Christ and enter into life eternal, those who rejected Christ, to life condemned to suffering in hell. Don't miss it. So he offers hope. He says, behold, days are coming. And then he says, Says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The second characteristic about this message is the fact that God would effect a new covenant. Now, I love this because it's really talking about God taking the initiative to bring about a covenant that would bring life. A covenant that would not be, you know, based on your works and based on your personal righteousness, but a covenant established by God for the salvation of the world through Jesus Christ. That's incredible to me. Because, like I said, there's plenty of people that, man, they get offended by that when I start talking about, man, the way you have eternal life is you have to trust Christ. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your works. You're never going to be good enough. And people get mad at me. Because they're like, you can't tell me I won't be good enough. You don't know me. Don't need to. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all I need to know. I know You've fallen short of the glory of God. So don't tell me you're going to work your way to heaven. Don't tell me you're going to earn it. Don't tell me you're going to stand before God and say to him, God, look at me. I have been so good. Of course you're going to let me into heaven. He's going to say, depart from me, doer of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. Man, I love the fact that God has this gracious way of making this new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ that is purely dependent on Christ and what he's done for us. And I want you to begin to think about, and not just for Easter time, but I want you to begin to think about Jesus Christ's death on the cross for you. I want you to begin to think about the fact that if Even after you've been saved, you sin, right? You sin. And so then, if it's all about you, how do you approach God? I know you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I I supposedly live for you. But Lord, I'm a failure. And Lord, why would you keep loving me if I say I love you, why would I keep failing you? If it's all about you, then what do you do? You're, you have no recourse. You have no standing. But if everything's in Christ, you say, Lord, I'm here again, and I'm sorry. I truly am, Lord. I have no desire to sin against you, and I don't know why I sin against you. But I did. But I'm coming in Jesus. And I'm coming in what He's done for me. You made the way. And I'm walking in it. And because of what He's done for me, I'm asking you to forgive me. And you know what God says? You are forgiven because of Christ. Isn't that incredible? I mean, isn't that incredible? There should be some shouting that runs from us sometimes. It just wells up in us, and we just should praise him, or we should break down and cry. That's what I do. I'm a crier. What can I say? I don't don't care if I cry. I don't care about any of that. It's so amazing to me that he did this because of how good he is to a sinner like me. That is love. Like no one else offers us. No one. Well, the third characteristic of this sweet prophecy is that God would reunite the houses of Israel and Judah. They had been separated because of their sins. At one time, there was just the nation of Israel until King Solomon just worshiped idols and blew it. And God said, I'm going to split the kingdom because of your sin. And so now there's the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes. Southern kingdom of Judah, two tribes. They're brothers, but they hate each other. They fight with each other. They criticize each other. They do all this horrible stuff. And, and yet the promise in the new covenant is uniting people. Because when you come to know Jesus Christ, you don't come on your merits. You come because of his love and his mercy. And so we all come alike. We all come undeserving sinners to receive a salvation from a glorious, gracious God. And we all stand on the same plane. And that brings unity, right? But it wasn't just for Judah and just for Israel. If you look over at Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 14, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, that's everybody that's not a Jew, which would be me and many of you. It says, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. It says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, You who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Not only did this new covenant bring together the people of God in Israel and Judah, but it brought together the Gentiles with the people of God and made all of us one. And I got to tell you, that's incredibly good news. That's who we are as a church. Do you know that? All of you that believe in Jesus Christ, we came to Christ the same way. Sinners confessing in a good Savior. Sinners confessing that Jesus' death on the cross was enough for us. And we put our faith in him. And he saved us by his grace. And we all stand together praising him together. That's what I love about coming together on Sunday mornings. We come because we're saved. We come because of Jesus. We come because we stand together. And we can walk together and grow together because of Christ. It's incredible, right? he certainly wasn't finished here because the fourth characteristic of the new covenant was that it would be completely different than the old covenant. Sounds, sounds simple, but let me read with you. It says in verse 10, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. One of the most incredible thoughts in the whole Bible. Right before the new covenant, before Christ's death on the cross mediated the new covenant for us, the covenant was the law, and the law was the judge. And so the law was external. It was looking at you, you fell short, you fell short, you're condemned, you're cursed. It was looking at you. But now the new covenant says God's going to do something completely different. He's going to write the laws of God in our minds. He's going to write the laws of God in our heart. He's going to be our God and he's going to make us his people. Guys, what he's talking about is a completely different way to salvation. He's talking about changing us on the inside. He's talking about the laws of God being known because when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he writes them in our mind. He writes them on our heart so that we then love the laws of God. We love who God is. We want to walk with him because now he is our God and we are now his people. It's a radical transformation. Man, I love that about salvation. Salvation is this transformation of our lives whereby after we trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And at that moment, we then want to live for Christ. We have this joy. I mean, I I can tell you when I was a kid and I trusted Christ that I knew immediately I was a different kid. Nobody told me the Holy Spirit was going to be sent to me. Nobody told me I was going to be a different kid. I knew, though. Did you know when you trusted Christ you were completely radically different? That you now had new life, new hope, and by the way, a new purpose. I've shared this before. I went to, the, to school the next day after I was saved. And I knew as I'm walking to school, I, I'm a different guy. i got to be a different guy. And I was probably 9 or 10. And so I lived to somehow be a different guy, right? These two friends of mine break out into a fight on the playground, which was not unusual. And so I think, well, I'm a different guy. i got to step in and stop this fight. Step in between, some kid punches me. I mean, really, I got punched in the mouth because he, he wasn't trying to punch me. I just stepped in the way. I'm like, wow, Lord. <laughs> that didn't work out quite the way I thought it was going to. But I mean, I was just a different kid, right? Because Christ is in me. And, and, and what he's saying here is that, man, the new covenant is going to be about what God does in us to then cause us to love him. It won't be external pressures. It won't be live up to this. It will be live out of who is in you in Christ Jesus. We will be a new people. And that's what I love about our verse for the year. I know I haven't brought it up very much, but but look at that verse. It says, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy God has brought us life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we should be celebrating that. It's what God does in us that makes the difference, not what we do. Sometimes people tell me I'm working on being a better person. And I really just want to simply say this. Well, who isn't? I mean, <laughs> you don't have to be a Christian to think you ought to be a better person. I talk to a lot of people that say they like to be a better person. That's never going to make you acceptable to God. You can work and work and work and work and still not be acceptable to God. What has to happen is you have to be made new. You have to have Christ do a work in your life. And if he does a work in your life, you know it because you will live differently. And honestly, if you claim to be a Christian and you don't have a new life, you're not a Christian. Do you hear me? Please don't let me be mean about it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to tell you, you're going to deceive yourself until the day you die. And then you're going to stand before the Father. And he is not going to accept you because you have not been born again. The scriptures are clear. You must be born again. And that's what he's talking about here. But he's not finished. Not only does he say that he'll be our God and we'll be his people, but he says, and, they'll not, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. And he's talking about those that are saved, those that become a part of the new covenant through faith in Christ. We won't have to say to them, hey, keep this law to know God, and hey, keep this law to, to follow God, and hey, keep this law to have a relationship with God. No, we will know him. Man, when we are, when we come to Christ and we receive the new covenant in Christ Jesus, the salvation that he has in that new covenant, we know him. We don't have to work at it. Matter of fact, one of the craziest things to me is that, that we don't even know what salvation really is. I mean, many times we think the salvation is a ticket to heaven. No. Turn over to John chapter 17, verse 3.
2: It's too good.
4: It's too good. If you have your Bible here, turn over there and actually look at it. And if you don't have a Bible here, you should have brought one. So John chapter 17, verse 3. It says this, it's very simple. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Isn't that crazy? I read that periodically, and and yet still people talk to me. I have eternal life, I'm going to heaven one of these days. Do you know what heaven is? Heaven is God. His presence, his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness. It's a relationship with him. And so when he talks about knowing him here and how the fact that we don't have to teach one another, those of us that have been born again, those of us who become a part of this new covenant through Christ Jesus, we know him because that's what salvation is. We know him. And nobody has to tell you how to know him. Does that mean I'm going to quit preaching long sermons? No. How are you going to get to know him better? How is God going to continue to teach us? How is God going to continue to reach the lost? We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep teaching, but not so that I can convince you to know him. You'll know him because that's what life really is. And then he goes on, he finishes up, and I love this. He says, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. How do we get to know God? How does this new covenant work? Through Christ Jesus, through his blood. He is merciful to our iniquities and he remembers our sins no more. You know what that means in very simple terms? When you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've lived within the covenant. God said, this is the way of salvation. My son, Jesus Christ, there is no other way. When you come to that, he will never again hold your sins against you. You're completely forgiven. Completely forgiven. Right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans eight one. Is that not incredible to you? Is it not incredible to you that, that though... God had this covenant that said, you've got to keep all of my laws. If you don't, you will be condemned. To point out to us just how heinous sin really is to God. Though he'd established that covenant, he said, you know, I love you so much. I'm going to make a better covenant. It's going to come at the sacrifice of my son. Don't miss this, right? We're about to take this. We're about to drink this juice. We're about to eat this bread, right? We're about to eat and remember Christ's broken body and his shed blood. This covenant for our salvation came at the cost of the living son of God who had been God forever and humbled himself and took the form of a man and became obedient to death on the cross, He took that putrid sin of ours. He took the curse that was due us. He took the death that was ours to die. And he did it because he loves us. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. This, the covenant. That's the covenant. Come to Christ. If you do, he will save you. He will forgive you and He will be your God and you will be His people and it will be the greatest blessing that you'll ever receive, no matter what. If you don't, there's no life in you, He says. There's no life in you. That's the covenant. Have you trusted Christ? Have you done it His way? Have you seen his sacrificial death on behalf of your sins? And you've said to him, Lord, yes, yes. Yes, I need you. Please forgive me. Have you done that? Because if you have, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's able to save forever. Those who draw near to him, we just read it, save forever, hallelujah. If you haven't, you can today right now, right where you are. You don't have to stand. You don't have to move. You just have to trust. Lord Jesus, I trust you. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. Thank you for dying on my my behalf. Whatever it is, man, don't miss Christ. And let's celebrate a new covenant, huh? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the salvation. We love you. I pray you'd move in our hearts. As we partake in this Lord's Supper, help us not just remember. Help us worship. Help us humble ourselves. Help us give you glory. Lord God, I love you. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Aaron is going to come lead us through the Lord's Supper.
0: Men, if you'll come and begin to pass this out. I don't even feel like I need to say anything else. I want you guys to take this bread and this juice in your hand and and... Take this opportunity, this is your opportunity to worship, it's your opportunity to remember. You know, Jesus asked us, he asked his disciples, as often as you do this, remember me, he asked them to take the time as the years went on, as their lives went on, as, their, as their, their time passed to take this time to hold this bread and this juice in their hand and remember. And that's why we do it today, 2,000 years later, so that he can, he can come back and we'll be remembering him. So take this in your hand while the worship team sings and man worship just let it flow whatever you want to do you can worship the lord with this in your hand let's do it <laughs> An incredible Jesus he took this bread and he broke it. He said, Take it. And he took this cup and he said, This is the new covenant poured out for you. My blood, the cup. Let's pray. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. You knew there was no other way, no way that, that we could be with you, no way that there could be no condemnation for us except you come and break your body for us and spill your blood for us. And you did it because you loved us. Oh, that love, Lord. Thank you for that love. Thank you that we stand before you. All the people in this place stand before you clean, clean, because of your blood. Praise you, Father. Amen. You're